Uh, welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of the Magic Sandwich Show. Uh, can I welcome back to the show for the first time in far too long, uh, Mr. Aron Ra himself, the Texan tank. Um, I'm sorry, it's been so long, Aron. Don't look at me like that. I can't remember how to pronounce your name. Um, and also, um, Concordance, and also for, I think, fourth or fifth show in a row now, Hogtie Champ. Um, seeing as we've kept you waiting, I'll keep all announcements till later. Let's get straight on to it, because I was deeply concerned about whether we would get Aaron on and Concordance on, because in Texas, things are hot. Tell us about that, Aaron. Well, I think Concordance is the one to, to tell us about the heat thing, since he's per- currently sequestered in a room he's desperately attempting to refrigerate concordance so it's uh i think it topped 104 here yesterday that's in fahrenheit for all you non-canadians for all you uh metric people i guess that's um i don't know somewhere around 37 c uh and it's hot and we don't usually talk about this kind of stuff in texas because uh it tends to scare the yankees a bit but um yeah, it's going to be hot here for the next three months, and we had the rumor of a rain cloud earlier, but we haven't had rain in a while. So whoever it is in Texas that's praying for rain, they're keeping it away. Uh, is it, is it demonstrates hotter than normal? how effective that's been. Is no, it? that's pretty seasonal. In fact, it, it kind of hit later than normal. Uh, usually by yeah, now did. we've been in drought for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it usually it, it it starts up early June. Uh, we've been uh, yep. blessed this year. Usually around Halloween, you can open up a window without, um, you know, and it's not a dry heat where I live. Aaron has a little bit better uh, luck, but I'm too close to the ocean, so we have a lot of humidity. Yeah, because, you know, I've Texas experienced- is on the ocean. A lot of people forget that. We get a lot of humidity. Um, well, commiseration, because it has been very hot here for the, for the last several years. Now, I'm sure that's relative, but I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't tolerate the heat very well. Um, I only imagine what it's like in Texas with it being coastal. I know I lived in Ontario for a while, and that Caribbean air that would come up, I just couldn't take the, the humidity. Um, but it's been, it's been pretty, pretty bad here. I think what we're, what we're facing is sort of the weather extremes, like in the winter where the, the polar cold air masses get displaced. And it'll be minus 30, minus 40, in, in whatever scale you want to measure it, minus 40 is cold um, for a couple of weeks. And then this last spring, we've had almost a month of, of rain every day. And then this, this last week has been in the 30s, or uh, 25 to 30, which I don't know what that works out to. Someone do the math. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know that I could take the kind of heat they're taking, but um, it's hot all over. Well, I mean, we're used to it here. It had been many summers that we'd had 110 degrees for 30 days straight or 115 degrees for 10 degrees, uh, 10 days straight, things like that. It's often been over 100 degrees at 1 o'clock in the morning. It's just, just something you get used to down here. Well, as, as That's saying, why we don't talk about it because it gets really repetitive to say, God, it's hot today. <laughs> <laughs> Another friggin' hot day. <laughs> That's why yeah, we just and, make and a point not to talk about it. The, the few people that I know of that have moved from Texas to another state, coincidentally, all, almost all of them have moved to Phoenix, which is the only place in this country that, well, it's, it's hotter than anywhere else in this country. Phoenix has uh, phenomenal temperatures. I was there 
when it was 118 degrees at one o'clock in the morning. The high that day was 123. What I don't understand is, like, does your body not just shut down at some point? Like, like, uh, you know, if you're in Fahrenheit, your normal body temperature is it's around different. 98. Like, when you know, it's 118, you, like, you have sufficient. If you stay hydrated in Phoenix, your body can sweat and cool itself off. Uh, in in the Houston area, if you sweat, it just rolls right off of you. You end up with a saturated T-shirt. When it goes above body temp, it gets very hard to dump that heat anywhere. Um, so it really does become life-threatening if you're out there for extended periods of time. Then there's just like nowhere for the heat to flow. I mean, this is just basic thermodynamics. If there's no potential for evaporation because the air is already saturated, um, there's no way to cool yourself off. When I was in high school, I actually worked on a roofing crew um, as the only non-Spanish speaking. I got the the worst worst jobs because I couldn't communicate, but I could haul these these heavy shingle packs up and down a ladder. Uh, and what we would do is we would show up before the sun came up, get a good portion of the work done in the, the early light, uh, and then we'd shut down around 10 o'clock and come back to the job around 6 or 7, uh, partly because the tar paper becomes so flimsy when it's you know above the boiling point of the tar. It's above the uh, melting point of the tar. It will actually run down your neck, uh, and that is an unpleasant feeling. But that's, that's how we adapt here. I just think we need to become nocturnal. Well, it, just yeah, as a matter of interest, what, what actually happens to the human body at extremes of heat? And, and then we'll have a look at it, what it happens when it's extremes of, of cold. Extremes of heat concordance, what actually... I bet hogtie. Hogtie. Well, I mean, there does, that's why I ask if your body doesn't just shut down. I mean, obviously, sustained extreme heat, one of your biggest enemies is, is uh, dehydration. And, um, you know, you can get uh even muscle and nerve damage from it but i mean before that you're you're just non-functional right like you um you, you get mental confusion and and um the condition that, that a lot of people refer to as as uh, sunstroke or sun shock or, or heat shock um actually has to do with the the blood flow not making it around uh properly around the whole body and i mean it's it's a actually fairly dangerous condition um but i, I don't that's why i asked the question because i've never seen how a body functions if you're in 110, 120 Fahrenheit temperature. Like, I just don't get how you can continue to function. And even your point about, well, you can cool off because you're sweating. I know that feeling, like in, in Ontario, when the humidity is so high, where, you know, you're sweating, but there's no, you know, it's 80% humidity. Like, it's, it's just not, it's just not going away. But uh, uh, we, we have people every year, uh, particularly up in Orange area, uh, people who are joggers. And they'll go out to the lake uh, in the morning and they'll jog around the lake. And, and we have young people, people in, you know, peak of their health, uh, health nuts, joggers dropping dead from heat stroke because they don't listen to the symptoms. They don't notice what they're doing. And the humidity right there by the lake is almost always close to 100% in the summer. Uh, and so you're always reading about it. And then, of course, the elderly are, are very vulnerable because they're often not aware of their own dehydration status. But yeah, you go through heat exhaustion, right? And that's what a lot of people go around half the time in the state of heat exhaustion. Um, and then, you know, when you start getting to heat stroke, it but does what's, become But what's actually happening? This is and what I'm getting one at. One of the things that's a big issue. This is what I'm getting oh. at, concordance, is what is actually yeah, happening. Yeah, hypovolemia. 
in English? A, a lot of it is 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 uh, low blood pressure begins to happen. That's part of the shock, and that's because all of your blood vessels, all of your your circulatory system, is wide open. Uh, and so you're trying to dump heat by opening up all this this blood capacity to put it to the surface of your skin, and your blood pressure can precipitously drop. Uh, and that's not not anything to do with dehydration. It's just the fact that your body is doing this response, which would normally be effective at dumping heat, but it's it's completely ineffective. So it just runs away, uh, and your 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 I guess your blood pressure drops so quickly that it can cause um, hypovolemia-induced uh, cardiac arrest, so heart attacks. Um, you know, the, the symptoms are when you stop feeling hot, <laughs> you want to go find somewhere uh, inside. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, like I get very pale during the summer because we don't go out. We don't do things outside except in very short little bursts. You know, early, early morning is the only time you really want to be out. Yeah, and I used to work as a bricklayer out here. So, yeah, I I, I would uh, be extremely dark. And um, I would be pouring water from garden hoses on top of me just constantly all day. Be running a garden hose, soaking yourself while you try to work. Yeah, you can imagine the young kids that are going to sports practice. They always start uh, two-a-days. Right, the two days are for football practice, uh, and these young kids are out there on the fields working hard in August before the school year starts, so they can get prepared for this, the the season. And it's very frequent that these kids, so all the trainers are out there watching all the time for the early symptoms of heat stroke. Heat exhaustion is just normal. That's just operating procedure for these two day football practice practices that's i used to do that all the time i would throw up several times a week just from the the heat uh would just really get to you uh no i just uh i wonder if you know the mechanism for it because I, I recall learning that uh during the heat exhaustion you 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 know people will sweat profusely and they'll pant but apparently during heat stroke and i've never seen seen this part where they actually will go uh they just they get actually get dry do you know the the mechanism behind that like people will actually stop sweating I don't. I don't know how that works, actually. I, I, again, uh, I, I always kind of picture it as the mechanism that's supposed to be cooling you off. Your, your, your sort of internal radiator, heat exchanger, just stops functioning. And I guess it, you just deplete all that, that uh, forgive me, the molecular biology, but all that proton motive force just is depleted. You know, all that, that localized energy that's involved in holding open blood vessels, um, it would be like... Like, you know, I don't know, uh, being severely under, like blood loss, it would be very similar to blood loss. After a period of time, you'd stop bleeding because there was just no way to keep that blood flowing anymore. That's what I have to think. You're so hypovolemic. It makes me consider that the idea that we were perfectly designed or the earth was perfectly designed for us or we were perfectly designed for the earth, it's not really... (laughs) True, is it? I mean, there are there are very limited temperature ranges in which we can live. I don't know how much higher than body temperature uh, you're likely to survive, but it's um, it's not that much below body temperature where um, you die as well. So, strange well, like design. It's um, you know God's special plan for Texas to keep all the damn Californians out. 
because if it were even just a few degrees cooler, they'd be here with their California pizza kitchens and their, I don't know, Chipotle burritos and fish tacos. And so this is the only way to keep the borders closed. Well, I mean, the thing is that I suppose this is where I was coming to with this. It actually hit the news headlines um, in this country, and someone posted in the comments that you know it looked as if we might get the highest ever recorded temperature in Death Valley and whatever. Um, you're, you seem to be suggesting that this is perfectly normal, um, not evidence uh, of climate change and nothing to be worried about. Yeah, I don't believe in that global warming myth. <laughs> I have to laugh or people will think I'm serious. You know, the the droughts are predicted. But, of course, we have to be very careful. Global warming doesn't mean it's going to get hotter everywhere, right? It, it means we're going to have more severe uh, extremes of weather, but not necessarily hotter in Texas each year. Because uh, I don't think we are setting records. I, I, I think maybe a little bit or every once in a while. But the overall trend at, at each specific site isn't that hockey stick. It isn't going up. At each site, it's going up. At certain sites, and globally, it's going up. Okay, well, before we lead on to um, Aaron's segue onto the political climate in Texas, I just want to remind people that this is a live call. Aaron. Right. Yeah, well, it seems that Rick Perry has uh, inadvertently or indirectly selected our next governor, and uh, he has... uh, through his own actions and inactions, he has selected that it will be a Democratic governor and that it will be a woman, apparently. Uh, because, you know, he has, he has for many years, he's been on this thing for like 10 years or so. I think he's been our longest-running governor. And we thought we could never get worse than Bush, and now everybody can see, well, yeah, we've definitely gotten worse than Bush. A few years ago, as you know, he tried to uh, drop $9 billion from the education budget. He wanted to uh, actually abolish public schools in total, just so that there would be no public schools anymore. They would all be private religious schools. That was part of his plan. Everything had to be for a profit. So if you couldn't afford to go to school, you didn't go to school. That was literally what he was trying to do a few years ago. And he was stopped in that effort. Uh, by one of the Democratic state senators who held a filibuster. And it is this one woman that we can thank for why we still have public schools, though he has severely sabotaged them since we still at least have them. And what has happened more recently is that uh, despite Roe versus Wade and the provisions that were put in for abortions um, by that, uh, they've come up with new legislation that would, in effect, render abortion illegal or impossible where it was not illegal throughout the state, except in very extreme circumstances. Only those occasions, if you happen to be within a few miles of one of five abortion clinics across the entire state, could you get an abortion, and then only in the first, within the first 20 weeks or so. Um, This was, uh, this bill that was presented was brought before religious ideologues and opposed by, according to local polls, opposed by 80% of the state. 80% of the state of Texas does not want this thing to pass. But it did get through the Republican-heavy you know, red Senate and uh, was about to pass last Wednesday. And the, this one woman again, 
uh, Wendy Davis did a 13-hour filibuster to stave it off, to stave it off until midnight. It was a very dramatic show. It, it, a lot of people hailed that it was the most dramatic event in politics that, uh, that a lot of people have seen in many, many years. One of the things that they did, they, they, they tried to find all these uh, rules to get her knocked off the filibuster so they could go ahead and pass the bill. And eventually they, they run out of excuses. They, they blocked her, and they, if it was only an hour and a half away from midnight. She was trying to hold out until the end of the, the, the Senate hearings when the whole thing would be over with. And the other Democrats in support of her held off brilliantly, stalled for an hour and a half, bringing up contingencies and circumstances, uh, you know, again and again and again in rapid battery. And it was really exciting to see. I mean, on one of the le- websites that I saw commenting about it said that it was nothing short of nail biting. When they got to the last 10 minutes, uh, Brewhurst or, or Dewhurst, who was in, who's in charge of all this, decided he's going to push through anyway. He's going to, he's going to arbitrarily rule the way he wants because he wants to get his vote out and he's not going to listen. He's paid attention to 11 hours of constant pleas about why this bill should not be passed. And of course, these people go by their emotions and by their religious mandates and not on any other thing. So they were determined to hold this vote. At the same time, he had also threatened the gallery because there were a thousand people within the state capitol. Do you remember the state capitol, DPR? You visited the place. Do you remember all the multi-levels? Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah, they're going up to the dome. Imagine that completely filled standing room only. Imagine the building that you were in filled standing room only with protesters because there were hundreds estimated to be right around a thousand people that had crammed into that. And we're talking about almost midnight. And Dewhurst was threatening the the people that were gathered there with felony arrest just for their cheers and whatnot. And and finally, close to the end, the police seized and arrested a 72-year-old woman in front of many, many cameras and charged her with felony resistant arrest and assault. And the video shows them gathering this old woman out of her chair, handcuffing her and walking her out despite the outrage of the thousand onlookers. There was no kind of violence here. There was no resistance of arrest. This was just simple, stupid oppression. And the crowd had had enough. And it was shortly after that that when they had that 10 minutes left, that um, the the crowd decided that they were going to hold a people's filibuster. And when when Dewhurst tried to force the vote through, the thousand people screamed in pandemonium for 15 minutes, drowning out all possible sense that was going on in that building. The vote could not take place because of of, of the outburst. These people were outraged. But what was amazing about was not only was this woman who did this this uh, this filibuster now seen as a hero, not just for what she did this last week, but also what she did it for education back in 2011. I mean, remember, she's the only reason why we have public school in this state. So not only is she seen as a hero and Dewhurst seen as a villain for threatening to arrest all these people and indeed arresting the, a, a, a and harmless 72-year-old woman and threatening with felony charges, 
But after they've made the midnight deadline and the crowd is celebrating, they're jubilant, still screaming, even louder than they were before, after the midnight, midnight deadline, in front of a thousand witnesses and video cams with 180,000 people watching live, the Senate held the vote anyway and then fudged the dates in front of 180,000 live stream viewers. They fudged the dates so that it would look like they did the date, that they did the vote on Tuesday instead of on Wednesday. It Both sides were screenshotted immediately. It took three hours in closed-door meetings to convince the GOP and the state Senate that they had been caught and that there was no way they were going to be able to get away with this lie that they had done the vote on time. They had broken the law. Nobody's being charged for that. There's no criminality implied for that. You can arrest a 72-year-old woman, you can threaten the crowd, and then you can fake records, but you will not be held accountable for that. And obviously everybody is outraged over this. And Dewhurst finally had to come out at 3 o'clock in the morning to admit that the records had been changed and that it wasn't a legal vote. And then he complained about the mob of people that were interfering with the practice of what he wanted to have done. And Perry, not 12 hours after that, had announced that there was going to be yet another second special session to push through this agenda that 80% of Texans do not want, but only the religious ideologues want. So now what we've seen is we have this woman who's been elevated to heroic status. Uh, we've, we've seen a politician standing on principles and literally, Literally taking a stand on principles, and we've seen her face a political party that has revealed themselves for the world to see as being criminal, misleading, cheating, underhanded, and enemies of justice, essentially. And now to take that one last step, Rick Perry, our governor, uh, we had suspicions that he was going to do something to punish uh, Wendy Davis by maybe putting her in another jurisdiction or gerrymandering or which, where she would be compromised. But what he did instead was to issue public statements criticizing her and her family. This governor, I, I, I said this before, this governor is, has a record that is so overtly evil. I mean, he he started out by trying to store chemical waste in an aquifer that's being used as a reservoir for drinking water. He, he relaxed restrictions on industry just before two of his chemical plants exploded in residential neighborhoods. He has fired on wildlife from his arm holster while jogging. Not kidding. And he has tried to destroy, destroy, education in every way possible. He has repeatedly appointed young earth creationists to head or to chair the board of education. He has tried to cut funding to education. He has promoted Bible studies teaching creationism in class. When he told that little boy that in Texas we teach creation and evolution, he was not kidding. He had actually set it up where that could happen and that would work. This guy has done everything. He, he even admitted as a presidential candidate that he will take bribes but that he is not cheap. And this was exposed on John Stewart, where they showed how everybody that donated more than $100,000 to his campaign immediately got the legislation they'd asked for. Perry simply handed it over. And Perry admitted that he was doing that. 
On his presidential campaign, he also admitted how his hatred of homosexuals and promised that if elected, he would continue his religious oppression against this other demographic. This guy is not a little elected leader. This man is a Disney villain. This man should have uh, a, a mustache like mine so that he could twirl it and look more evil. So now he makes these comments to this woman. And the backlash has been that Texas is ready for a Democratic governor. Apparently thousands of people have asked Wendy Davis to run. And now that Perry has Perry and Dewhurst and the others of their crowd have revealed that they will lie and they will cheat and they have no compassion, no compunction, no sensibilities at all for the job that they're supposed to be doing and are completely corrupt, they're now selecting her to run, and she has agreed that she probably will. And we're all very excited about that. This, In case you've forgotten, Rick Perry is the guy during the presidential campaign who was going to eliminate three uh, departments from the government. It was going to be – no, wait, which one was it? The CDC? No, the FDA? And I can't remember the third one. Right? This is the guy, <laughs> National TV, who self-destructed because he couldn't remember his own talking. And wasn't, and wasn't the third uh, one education? <laughs> What's that? Wasn't, wasn't the third one that he couldn't yeah. remember education? Yeah. Well, wait, let's yeah. not forget the environment uh, because he also supports fracking under suburban neighborhoods. I'm not kidding. <laughs> How do you find somebody more overtly evil than this? Well, the, the one that I loved and the one I remember him, besides defunding uh, the children's health care program in Texas, which, again, twirling the mustache, I don't know how you could possibly get away with this, was he announced a grand plan for a multi-billion dollar project to build highways across Texas that would connect adjacent states. Uh, it would include pipelines and railroads and uh, super highways, you know, eight lanes each direction and, um, you know, would, would make Texas a through fare. It would bypass every city in Texas. Uh, and then <laughs> it came out. He didn't announce it. It came out about midway through approving this project, cramming it through uh, the house, that he had pre-sold it to uh, one of the Middle Eastern countries, some very rich potentate of, uh, you know, Amir or something of Oman had already pre-bought it. He had already negotiated the sale of the project before <laughs> he'd even gotten it approved, before it had been funded. So he was turning this thing into a cash cow for himself by being the, the the broker of this whole deal. He's a horrible person. We keep electing him for some weird reason. Um, but anyway, I want to talk about Wendy Davis. This lady is awesome. Uh, yeah, I've never really dealt with her before. I knew she was pro-education. She had taken some really strong stances there. But um, what, what I wanted to call attention to is how much planning she did for this. Uh, you know, the lady, she's 50. So she's not young. She's not, you know, she's not in the well, perfect health. She had her pink shoes. She looks great. Uh, she had a back brace, which she needed help getting on. That's one of the things that they flagged down because someone else touched her. Uh, in Texas, you can't 
filibuster unless you're actually standing, freestanding. You can't lean on anything. Uh, and you cannot leave the floor. You can't go to the bathroom. So she actually was catheterized, urinary catheter. And don't make me spell that out so that she would be able to, to stand there for the 11 hours required uh, without having to stop and go to the restroom. So, I mean, that's commitment to a cause. And I have to say that's very admirable. Um, really yeah, we, we impressed all, with the amount. Yeah, we are all very impressed here in Texas. But I, I remember um, on that visit to the Capitol uh, with you in Austin back in March, um, I was somewhat surprised to see, I think after George Bush, when we were looking at the um, portraits of the governors, uh, there was a woman, uh, and not only a woman, but also a Democrat. How did she get herself elected? <laughs> Well, she uh, she took care. She took advantage of similarly heroic cir circumstances, and I don't remember what her story was, which was strange because I read it again just a few days ago, and I'm sorry that I'm drawing a blank, but I do remember that her daughter or her granddaughter now runs Planned Parenthood. So, yeah, and and of course they're 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 very interested in what was going on last week as well. So now we have. And, and a charged and outraged populace, of which I understand more than 5,000 have already RSVP'd that they're going to be on the, uh, the steps to the state capitol tomorrow in protest of, uh, of the Texas government again trying to screw up everything for everybody uh, on one point of principle or another. I mean, as I said, even though most people... You know, most people would recognize that you know, abortion is not a responsible method of birth control, but most of us are sane enough to realize that there have to be options where that can exist under certain circumstances. And if you simply close it all down and make it unavailable to everybody across the state, you're creating more problems. And it is a form of religious oppression because that's, that's what they're doing. And Perry has admitted uh, not but earlier this month, he made a bold statement that uh, that freedom of religion was not freedom from religion, and that you know freedom of religion meant that Christianity was going to rule everything. Was essentially what he's driving at. Hog time. I you know there are times I, I, I hear these discussions. I'm just dismayed. Uh, I mean, uh, I forgot her name already. Wendy uh, Wendy Davis. Davis. Uh, you know. Uh, Sorry, I heard some zip there. Hey, uh, you know, props to to, uh, to Wendy Davis. I mean, that takes a lot of courage and whatnot. But I just find it so bizarre that, uh, you know, how does she rise to being hero in these circumstances? You know, like the, the, the whole method that's used to try to divine the best path for a society and for a culture involves this sort of like Lord of the Flies approach to to, to <laughs> legislative debate. We're going to, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on a back brace and so, you know, so I can hold on to the speaker's conch longer, longer than anybody else and maybe a diaper. Diaper? No, put on a catheter. Like, <laughs> seriously, we went with an elective catheter, knowing there are health risks with that. I mean, they're not that dangerous. But, but why? You don't just do it for, for that sort of thing, you know, because we couldn't think of a better way of managing uh, debating social policy. You know, well, it's, no, it's just so Lord of the Flies. Like, 
Think about what she did. Okay, for 11 straight hours, this woman read the arguments given by the people, by the populace, letters that were sent to her by my wife and, and you know, thousands of other people. She had read out these eloquent arguments about why this bill should not be passed. And we were talking about people who, are, who listened intently through every word, trying to find the one thing that they could say was not germane. They're looking for the word that they, she says that, that, that they could then use against her. The arguments themselves Sonogram. don't matter. The reason doesn't matter. Sonogram. You would think. You would think that when you give a reason for something, when you give eloquent under you know, a, a, an eloquent argument, that, that it's going to move people, that it will compel them to change their mind. But we are talking about people who do not admit when they are wrong. Rick Perry intends to run for president again. Why? Because he has an obvious learning disability. He does not understand that people will not elect him after they've seen what he's done to our state, after they saw what he did in his last campaign. You, no sane person would do that again. But he's going to because he and three other Republican candidates in the last presidential run all believe that God told each of them that they should be the next president. We're talking yeah. about people that can't be reasoned with. Who, who see only what they want and their own justifications and who really actually believe that the ends justify the means. Okay, but, but is there not a mechanism amongst uh, the Americans in particular, I mean, maybe all of humanity, but is that there not a mechanism that we can just sort of get together for a second and say, how are we going to discuss good public policy? How are we going to move things forward for everyone's best interest? How do we filter out the crazy people from this process? You know, because when it gets to be... A- competition over who's willing to be catheterized as being the guardians of good public policy like like where do you think you're going when you do stuff like this it just it, it just boggles the mind but but not to derail us on that because i also it's don't want power, to send a bunch of pms no I, that's well, that's how gotta, always help think think of the insanity of of just about every government that's ever come along you know uh, <laughs> I'll avoid quoting Monty Python, but the systems of governance that people come up with, you know, I was born from this guy, therefore I'm the divine ruler of all Egypt. It doesn't make any sense either. Um, at least now it's sort of more about impassioned speeches and, you know, demagoguery uh, than it is about whether you're born to a particular father or not. Um, I, I was going to bring in another topic, not another topic, but just a comparison to, uh, I think, maybe our only woman governor, and that is Ann Richards. I don't know if you guys know who she is. Um, growing up, you know, Ann Richards was sort of the governor of Texas that I recall, uh, and she I was very similar. That, she had the, that's the one that DPR Jones was talking about seeing her picture in the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. She was, she was our Margaret Thatcher, but on the other side of the political aisle. She was, she was a very liberal, um, you know, people assume Texas is this horribly Republican because we are, we're a Republican, uh, majority and we generally always vote Republican, but we're also an incredibly diverse, uh, I was going to say country, <laughs> incredibly diverse <laughs> state, uh, you know, along racial lines, along political lines, the, the, the issue, and I think it's probably true just about anywhere in the Midwest, is that the rural areas tend to vote very conservatively. And Texas has an enormous swath of, 
you know, low density rural areas. Whereas we also have, what is it, four or five cities above a million people? So we have a couple of fairly large metroplex, the fourth largest city in the country. And they tend to represent a much more liberal bias. If you go to some place like Austin, it is heavily dominated by a very liberal lean. So we get some pretty good battles going when you talk about the representatives of these diverse groups getting together um, to grab power. And there's a lot of money and there's a lot of power to be grabbed. Uh, one of the issues that's going to be uh, very big is the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1964, uh, which I, I guess we're already starting to, to move on that, which allows Texas to change voting districts without any prior approval. Uh, and gerrymandering is something that has been very, very hotly contested. Um, unfortunately, state politics still don't, don't get the coverage that national politics does, so they're not nearly as accountable. Um, one of the, the things I remember from political science is that the representatives, the Senate and House of Representatives in Texas, don't get paid very much. They, it's not even a living wage. It's something like ten dollars or $11,000 a year. So the only people who can afford to be a state senator are people who are already wealthy um, or have some sort of financial backing. So it, it tends to be a position where the people that are there aren't really there for the, the civil good. And then this kind of ties back to what Hogtie Champ was talking about. Why do we keep electing these horrible people, really on both sides of the aisle, who are only there because of vested interests. There's bound to be someone else out there who's better, right? Why do we keep doing that? Well, I, I, you know what? You I mentioned could... the you mentioned the interest, the vested interest, the the money. I, but I, I I don't even know I can raise up some some insight on that topic because I think the Americans are for the last few elections have realized like the money thing is causing a problem. Um, I, I think your last federal election went a little weird because corporations could essentially donate as much as they want. But I, I get the impression that this is an issue that, that Americans are already pretty energized about, that the more we make um, uh, congressional and, and, and Senate votes like uh, something that's for sale, um, but with really high ticket prices, you know, it's, uh, it's, it just makes for a very, very dangerous situation. Um, maybe I won't pontificate on that at the risk of sort of offending more Americans about criticizing your country all the time. But um, the abortion thing, I do have to say something about the abortion things. It, um, I'm, I'm one, I, I actually get the sense you agree, because you've made a, I'm going to say I'm, I'm opposed to abortion, um, but not opposed to abortion rights. This is the honest recognition. And I, I, I don't want to misparaphrase you, Aaron. I think that that's sort of what you were getting at too, that we would rather that abortions weren't happening and, um, that is, I don't think there's such a thing, there's anti-abortionists, but I don't think there's such a thing as a pro-abortionist. And so I think those people who would support uh, abortion services and abortion availability for, for circumstances um, are not really supporters that they want to have abortions. And, and I, I, I would like to see, just like we, we have a social goal to reduce, you know, let's have, we have a zero target for murders and a zero target for, for rapes and thefts and whatnot. I would like to, I think a positive... Uh, a well-disciplined society should be heading towards a target of zero abortions done in that population. And I wish we could I talk believe... to Christians into getting on board with us because the Christians are the ones that are doing the crazy-ass stuff. Like, what's the state of sex education like in uh, the great state of we, Texas? We teach, we teach abstinence only. 
Yeah, well, then that's pro-abortion. That's pro-abortion as far as I'm concerned. In a sense, it is, because we, we lead the country in repeat teen pregnancy. And, <laughs> and we're in charge. We're, we're in the lead on that. So they don't want to have sex education. They don't want they 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 don't want to have contraception. They are against all means of birth control, and they're all they're they're also against every sort of social service that would provide for you know for for teen mothers or what you know anybody that 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 has children that they couldn't. If they can't control the amount that they reproduce, and they do it by not having birth control and not having abortion, either one, the, and you know, it's it's strange that they would simultaneously also eliminate all these child welfare programs. It seems to me that if you were to to teach children sex education properly and give them access to birth control, then you would not have the issues that that, that they they need for you know all these teen pregnancies and such you would you would minimize or eliminate that but when do the religious right ever do anything that makes any sense or stays consistent well i think that's consistent with their theology right is the is that life is precious and that they will do anything to protect you until you're born then fuck off i think right because we are also what while our governor said last week that texans value american life he was also ready to execute the 500th uh, death row inmate, and she's a woman. So, yeah, there's a double standard there. And where they'll make the blanket statement that abortion is murder, if regardless whether it's a legal procedure or not, they don't have a problem with with some of the with, with killing people that are in prison or. Even in some cases, as we've seen some some extreme Republican candidates last year were promoting the idea of, of taking the Bible and saying that, you know, misbehaving children should be killed as an example to other children to get them to, to behave. Yeah. Hey, can I ask a quick question? I, I should, I'm hesitant to do this sort of live, but because uh, it might propagate a rumor about the American abortion, abortion culture. Um, but I had heard from somebody a couple of weeks ago that Planned Parenthood is actually a rebranding of uh, someone help me out here because this rumor is pretty strong. Um, some eugenics uh, movement from I'm um, getting winces on. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, Galton. Galton. Galton uh, was the, some... but no, I, I've never heard that. No, I, 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 this is an evangelical Christian that had said this on a similar broadcast like Magic Sandwich Show. I was on the panel and he said, oh, yeah, well, you know, Planned Parenthood is just a rebranding of a uh, racist eugenics movement that's trying to thin out the um, handicapped well, I people would suggest, and, of course, black people. That's okay, just what I, the guy I said. would suggest that you stop, stop getting your sources from Infowars.com. No, no, that wasn't it. It wasn't that bad. Maybe that guy. He's yeah, a Texan too, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He's a Texan. All right, we'll claim him. Well, maybe on that note, we should uh, take our first caller, who, as I said, um, wants to go back to a topic that I said we would revisit, um, which is the surveillance of people by government authorities. Um, and for the record, DPR, I, I think you it. mischaracterized me a little bit. Go on. I, I think you mischaracterized my position just a little bit. I, I don't, I don't think it's okay for the government to monitor me, 
my problem was I couldn't think of a specific way in which it would affect my life. Right. Okay. And I think some arguments were made about that, but I, I just, I don't, it's not that I'm okay with it. It's that I can't think of how, what specifically I should be upset about besides someone say looking in through my window, violating my privacy, they're not going to steal nothing. Right. That's kind of how I see it still bothers me, but it, it doesn't, I, I never had an assumption of privacy on, on the internet. Okay, well, before, before we go watching whatever I did. Before we go to um, the first part on this issue, then, um, what what is this unease that you have? Well, I don't like so. the idea that somewhere there's a file with my name on it and that, you know, they're logging things that I do. But again, I don't think that that directly affects me uh, until I start seeing actions as a result of that surveillance. I have always assumed, based on all the movies I've ever seen, that the CIA is monitoring everything. You know, I, I don't think that we've had privacy, whether we know about it or not. You can kind of assume that the government is watching uh, and whatever is actionable, they're acting on. But I haven't ever seen it. I haven't ever seen an action that was the direct result of, of you know, behind the scenes surveillance. Okay. Uh, Michael, are you with us? Um, yeah. At first, I've got to say, you've got to get Alex Jones on this one day. <laughs> um, we'll try. I, I can't. It's five minutes. But um, the problem is, um, the NSA um, is sort of expanding all the time. Um, recently, it's been found out that they've been collecting information outside the US, like bugging random people in um, Britain, the EU. In fact, every copy of Microsoft Windows actually has a backdoor virus built into it that actually allows the, uh, the NSA to gather the information about you. Uh, since Windows 95, I think. Well, yeah, it, it, but it, see, it's worse than that, because it's not just what, uh, what you do on the Internet that's being monitored by all of the Internet monitoring software. It's also these guys. They know where you are. They know what you look like. They know how to read. They're interconnected with everybody, all the others of their kind, and there's hundreds of millions of them in a synaptic network, so to speak. And if you're worried about what the government's worried about, worry about these things. Just as bad. I mean, I, I get messages um, sent by email from the likes of Twitter, and Facebook, and they will say, do you know so-and-so and so-and-so on Twitter? And it's really odd because nine times out of ten, if not more, uh, I do know those people. I don't want to follow them, uh, but they've obviously somehow, Twitter has made these connections and sent me an email in order to encourage its, uh, the expansion of its uh, environment. Similarly with Facebook. Um, I don't really have a problem with Twitter or Facebook doing that um, because they don't, I'm not particularly concerned um, about what they're going to do with the information. But just going back to what I said last week is I have no, I'd seen no issue provided, and it was a serious proviso, provided you would trust the government. And if the government are checking on which uh, um, internet sites I may be visiting or who I may, may be sending emails to, 
I've got no problem at all with them having a record in their uh, record store with DPR Jones uh, on the name of the folder because it's certainly not going to do me any harm. Um, I don't have anything to hide, and it may, uh, and occasionally does, uh, seem to assist in the prevention of uh, crime. So that's my issue. I know I know people who have run by an assumed name and want to maintain uh, uh, false addresses and all of this sort of thing. That you know, I know people that are in a sense hiding out from the internet, very afraid or worried about their internet footprint because they don't want to be they don't want to be traced, they don't want to be monitored. I can't imagine why they feel that way. I mean. In their particular instance, I mean, I don't think that it's it's because they're anti-government agents or anything like that. I, I think they just want to be unknown for reasons of their own, and I, I and I can understand that. I mean, I don't I don't have you know like DPR Jones. I don't have huge issues with this. Although I think it would be nice to to disappear or change identity at some point, uh, if if you felt the urge to do so. I don't know what to do about that in this in this situation, and I think it's going to be a lot harder in coming generations. I think we're all going to be heavily monitored, and we're not going to need to have any tracking stuff under our skin or anything like that. It isn't going to require you know surgical procedures and all of that. It's going to be rather like it is in England right now, where you have you know cameras everywhere, and it doesn't matter where you go, you're going to get picked up, you're going to be seen. I think it's really the principle, though, of not worrying what's you know, um, it's just a principle. I mean, I'm uh, British, and um, the NSA is gathering um, information about British people, so I don't like being uh, watched by a completely foreign country. I mean, I, mean, I, can, I, I, I get that. I, I understand that, that the principle bothers you. I, I just, I always reject those arguments as not being specific enough. It's It's almost like that superstition type of thinking where it's not based on the specific specific objection it just makes you feel uncomfortable and i guess that's my challenge here is i i almost feel like there's something i'm missing how does it impact on me because I, looking around i don't see the tangible impact i also don't see the tangible benefit i i don't know what's going on behind the scenes and maybe that bothers me a little bit but again in sort of this vague way I couldn't tell you why I am harmed by this. And so that's why I'm always a little skeptical of arguments that are sort of like, well, it's the principle of the thing. I don't want people watching me. I don't want X, Y, or Z. If you don't know that it's happening or if you assume that it's happening, you don't know specifically that it's happening, what is the specific harm? How does it change the way you live? My my son just brought up something where people are being, uh, according to him, uh, people are being arrested for comments that they've made on Facebook that could be taken as suspicion of conspiracy oh, and things I of that sort. Of that. Um, but they get their happened, day in court too, right? Um, yeah. What happened was um, there was somebody on an online game I've read recently. Um, they posted on this game um, I'm going to shoot up my school lol JK. Uh, then some uh, woman um, reported him to the police because he was near an elementary school, and he's facing eight years in prison for terrorist threats. 
But that has nothing okay. to do with surveillance, right? That is someone reporting online behavior. That's a completely different discussion. I, I know. I just thought I'd bring it up. Warrantless wiretaps, which is really what we're talking now, about here, if, right? If I may, if I may, if you if you went into a restaurant and said the same thing, would you not be facing the same kind of persecution? Uh, yeah. I mean, just just being openly heard by the crowd. Well, Michael says there's a difference. What's the difference? Well, I'd say the difference is in a restaurant, it's a public place, uh, whereas on an online game, it's more of a private... Well, no, but I think maybe that's a distinction. Um, why on earth do you think an online game accessible to anyone should be considered to be a private space? I, I, I can't really answer that. Um, I'm not sure, it just... You know, feeling it feels more. Like, I really don't know how to explain that. Actually, sorry. As as concordance has sort of pointed to, it's yeah. more a sort of like uncomfortable feeling. I mean, um, you living in this country, if you live anywhere near um, a, a city or um, any large um, town, you're you're going to know, for example, that you pretty much walk out of your house. Um, they're going to be. Um, CCTV cameras recording your movements, or they're not? Um, actually, uh, n not in residential areas, as far as I'm aware. It's more in uh, town centres. I live in a small town. Uh, I'd hardly ever see cameras. But if you went into a major city... Um, you, if you walk you... through the streets of London, right, there's going to be oh, ATM yeah. cameras, street cameras, and that's, you know, that's in addition to the satellites where they can you know, track movements. Again, I, do you care if, if there's a satellite that can see your house? Do you care that you're on Google Street View, that someone can drop the little guy right in front of your house and see what your house looks like? I, I mean, I know there are abuses of these things, but does that in principle bother you? Uh, well, not so much really, because uh, that is outside in public. Other people can see you walking in but on the internet, it's sort of in the privacy of your own home, is it not? Is no, <laughs> no, you're out on a public resource, right? That server's not in your house. You're not having a conversation with a friend in the confines of your bedroom. You're you're broadcasting something over a wire, which goes to a computer, which could be countries away, uh, and yeah, everyone else what... is able to read that same conversation. I think that's what, what that's it is exactly what's at the heart of this is our expectation of privacy. So that right. you know, concordance. If I had you over for supper and we had a conversation, I would be uh, a little surprised and dismayed if you recorded that conversation and then posted it to your YouTube channel right. or turned it over right. to the RCMP and had me arrested. I mean, um, whether or not I would have an expectation <laughs> of privacy in those circumstances is a well, I don't know what we talk about at supper at my house, but um, but. Um, for some reason, we expect that our private conversations are private on the Internet, and I th maybe that's the mistake we make. Like, um, the, the question I've been thinking about here, uh, again, reflecting on what happened when we talked about this a couple weeks ago and, and the messages that we've received since then, um, is it this feeling of discomfort, this ill at ease, like, oh, the government's watching me. Um, are you more or less comfortable with the circumstances when you walk in downtown London and you turn your head and there's 15 cameras that may or may not have you within view at that moment. Uh, contrasted with the circumstances that there are 
you're in a store somewhere and there are little pinhole cameras that are around and you don't know that you're being monitored. Which of those two circumstances would, uh, and I'd put that to Concordance and to, and to Michael, which of those makes you feel less comfortable? See, well, I just, um, I don't assume I have privacy. I guess that's what I've always assumed was that if they wanted to come get me, there's not a whole lot I could do about it if they wanted to monitor my phone conversations. Um, I'm familiar enough with the legal rulings to know that a, you know, a telephone conversation is not something where you have an expectation of privacy. Unless you're you know, in a confessional or talking to a lawyer or a doctor, there's just not rules to protect you. It's never been the assumption of privacy in my head. Uh, and right, certainly right, let, not let on Facebook, my slightly. and not on YouTube. Okay, I apologize for interrupting. I know Michael has an answer loaded up, but just let me clarify my question. Because you do have some control over this. What I'm asking about is public policy. When you say you have no control over whether they are monitoring you, the they that we're talking about are your public servants, the people that work for the people that you cast ballots for. So let's say you're, you're in, a, in a representative democracy, you're an agent in crafting the public policy under which these cameras go up in London and, um, you know, the RCMP goes through our garbage in Canada, you know, things like that. So wherever you are, there are these policies like this. So, so maybe try to answer my question in terms of what are you more or less bothered by the secret surveillance or the obvious surveillance when you're out in public, um, knowing that you could control it, how would you vote? Probably the um, secret, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll turn it over Michael. I'd be, I'd be more, far more bothered by the secret. I think it's more the fact of um, knowing I'm being uh, watched. You know, if I know I'm being watched, then I know I have to be careful about what I do. But with uh, being watched in public cameras, I don't mind so much because the internet is my opinions, what I'm looking at. I think, I think, Michael, if, if I may just chip in a little bit here, I think that one of the reasons your expectation of uh, privacy on the Internet is because you normally do it from the privacy of your own home or yeah. your own bedroom or whatever. But um, the, the question that I posed um, last week was, um, do you think that surveillance of people that visit um, paedophile sites should be restricted? I'm not... Well, um... Hmm... Well, Michael, I've got a couple of other callers on this. Um, have a oh, think okay. about that and do jo join yeah, in, uh, on, on a future show. Uh, but thank you or, very or much indeed for the call. Um, how, do how about do we, does Al-Qaeda have a right to privacy? Do, does, does a terrorist cell have a right to privacy? If the things they're being private about are, are obviously criminal and harmful. Uh, we're... Being joined, I hope, by uh, Board Bits, who was with us um, last week, and Yuri, I will be coming to you next. But if anyone else would like to join us, please just send a Skype contact request to Magic Sandwich Show, uh, and uh, we will see if we can get you on. We've got another uh, about 50 minutes or so that uh, we can run for. Um, Board, you were with us last week, and you were the one that took an opposing view uh, to those of the panel. Um, but expressed a, a desire to come back. What have you got for us this time? Um, yeah, I mean, it really is addressing concordance, and I don't think I'm very far from concordance on this, that, you know, if you've nothing, it's the old, if you've nothing to hide, um, 
there's nothing to worry about. And also, is it sort well, of board, a bit board, to be fair, that's conspiracy not, theorist? That's not actually what Concordance was saying. Concordance said that he never expected uh, privacy in his interactions, and I think that is a slightly different issue, isn't it? Yes, OK. I, I, all right, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll get to my key point, and I suppose my key point is Concordance says, well, you know, if you don't see any impact of it, then what's the hassle? Well, of course, you might not see the impact of it. Take an example. If the people um, being employed directly by your government and elsewise by your government are being secretly screened for their political beliefs or whatever, then that's having an effect on the freedom of political expression within the government machine. Wouldn't that affect you, whether you knew it or not? Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Um, Again, I would think that they would have other recourse. If they were photographed in a public protest, I would have the same effect. You know, if if we report each other, if if we go back to McCarthyism, let's say, the issue is not the method of surveillance. The The issue is what is admissible, uh, and the fact that it may be secret uh, would, would play into that, but not the method of surveillance, whether you're photographing them from across the street, or you have spies planted in that organization, or if they're quite frank and they show up to the job interview with, uh, you know, I hate America t-shirt on, you have to you have to look at what the basic principle is, which is you can't refuse someone uh, a political position or uh, or whatever on on the basis of their free speech rights. Do do you see what I'm saying? It's not the the fact that we're wiretapping. It's the fact that the surveillance is being used in a specific way, and that is to provide political, uh, one-sided political views. But, but, I mean, mean, you were saying, you know, that, um, admissible evidence and all the rest of it, but would it ever get that far? If if a politician wanted to um, load a um, their judges in a certain way, or a committee in a certain way, or or a, a civilian advisory team in a certain way, they they could do that based on profiling, with the people never having any recourse to um, you know a judicial hearing on the findings, surely. I mean, I think vetting has been done since long, long before uh, they had electronic resources to tap into. You know, they, they, they dig into the backgrounds of politicians all, all the time. That's what journalists do. We've just made the job a little easier for them. But the principle itself is the same. Uh, journalists can dig up dirt. Spies can dig up dirt. Uh, Counter spies can dig up dirt. And they can do it with interviews. They can do it with surveillance of the old-fashioned variety what is different about someone's posting on facebook um you know i I understand intercepting communications uh likewise has been done for for decades you know wiretaps warrantless wiretaps precede the internet by a couple of decades uh and they're they're wrong for the same reasons but i'm not sure i quite understand why in particular Internet monitoring is an issue. Well, because what we touched on last time, which is about profiling, where, as you know, you may visit lots of websites that cumulatively, if, if 
simple simply your internet footprint is being looked at and you start picking up negative points purely based on internet addresses you have visited you may lose out on a job or whatever or a contract and have no idea why you've done it and it's simply because your profile has has put you further on the wrong side of a, a line than somebody else well you can and, also and go so to a dinner party saying, you could go to a dinner party that happened to have the chairman of the American Communist Society. You, you could you could be at a rally at the same time as some anti-American um, whatever. You know, the, these things have always been this way, and that's oh, I'd, part I'd, of. I agree, but you, but but you can't go to a hundred rallies. You know, you, you're unlikely to, to be that unlucky in a year. Whereas going through the internet, you know, doing research or whatever. You could now, you know, again, I'm, it, it is more of an uneasy feeling, but I'm, I'm thinking that because it's not open, because we don't know how the profiling works, you but don't my, know uh, sorry, if you bits, could be... Bits, um, can you help me here? Are you aware of any um, company? I mean, obviously there are some that, for example, keep um, credit ratings on people. Um, you've obviously got uh, Criminal Records Bureau uh, and the like. Are you aware of any organization, organization that is offering a potential employer uh, information about a potential employee's uh, internet activity? No, I, I have some interest in the area and I am not aware of um, abuses beyond what the public's aware of. If the panel may indulge me, my, my son is bursting open to, uh, to, to share some of this with you. On the topic of uh, is there any company that is offering such information, in a way there is. There's Facebook, which offers tons of information about you, which you willingly put up for whatever purpose it is. And at least here in Texas, it's a uh, right-to-work state. You can be hired or fired for any reason, and no reason has to be told to you. You could be fired because... You're an atheist. You could be hired because you're not the black guy that just interviewed. And they just wanted to make sure it was a racially pure place. Any reason can be given, and a lot of employers will look you up on the Internet. Now, it is true that you might share unsavory comp uh, company at some point in the year, and that could get you bad street cred with whoever. But on the Internet, you can be found in moments by anyone at any given time but what they will find if I, may, if I may what they will find is information that you have posted there is it not usually yes there are also places that will offer criminal record things but if you've got something on your criminal record that's probably a very valid reason not to consider you for whatever job it might be Usually. Now we're not talking about government surveillance. We're talking about people making, I guess, advertising, uh, not understanding how privacy functions work. There is the equivalent of putting a sign out in front of your house or, you know, in the public restroom writing graffiti that says, you know, I'm I, I, I fancy boys or, you know, whatever it may be that is getting you disqualified. What made you think that that was private, knowing how the technology works, why would you have that assumption? 
it's why, not why always things that look at your public records. It's not always something that should really matter at all for the workplace. If you put on Facebook going out drinking with the boys, there's nothing wrong with that. Then a, a potential employer will see that and go, oh, he drinks. I better not hire him. They could do any given thing like that. And well, but the thing is, they like to go out on Saturday night and have a drink with your friends does not mean that you shouldn't be able to get this job. If you're trying to contact your friends to get them to go to the same bar as you, you might want to use some sort of internet media to communicate with them. So either you just don't communicate with people on things that aren't work friendly all the time in your life. Or you do, and you possibly lose out on jobs. Possibly, perhaps. I think you're mixing. You up. might, you might get a job. You might, you might have an, a potential employer who loves the idea of going out for a drink with his employees on a Friday night. You don't know, but the fact is that uh, what are you saying? You go to the interview and you give an answer that may or may not be true to give your best chance of getting the job. You, you're assuming that the employer doesn't want people to go out for a drink with the boys on a Friday night. Well, yeah, but it doesn't have to actually oh, I would, be I would agree It with could be any number of things. There yeah, have but been the point is who, that you have, to, you have to be aware that your, your, your internet presence is a reflection of you. And so if, if all you have on your Facebook is out on drinking again, out drinking again, out, out drinking again, then... That's what. But if you if you put other interests on there, and it becomes more of an advertisement for your life, then you know the positives and negatives. You'll you'll you know a prospective employer employer will see a more rounded individual. But a potential employer, if uh, Dad went to go get another job, would look at his Facebook, and what would he see? Tons of atheist activity and political activity, and probably wouldn't want to hire him because just well, where he works maybe, and his Maybe he would or maybe he wouldn't, but what if he went for an interview and was asked those questions? Are you suggesting his father should lie on the assumptions that you're making about his potential employer? No. Though, as Judy just pointed out, it is illegal to ask such questions. Yeah, I, I think that's the bigger issue here is not how the information is collected. And I can give you a specific instance where this was an issue for me. Um, a group of friends and I went to a bar uh, while we were traveling for work. And a friend of an employee happened to see us drinking. Some of my colleagues were inebriated. I was the designated driver. Uh, and one of them was fired for what they considered conduct unbecoming. Uh, an employee of that company. He's a very religious biotech company, if you can believe that. Uh, but that didn't require any kind of internet. It was simply the policy that employees shall not be, you know, unbecoming in public. It's made it easier. And I will agree that quantitatively, uh, it's different because it's become so much easier to monitor all your employees. But I don't think it's qualitatively changed anything that has existed for, for decades or maybe centuries. Um, you know, it's just as easy to interview your friends and ask them about you uh, and put them in a position where they have to lie to cover for you if you are an alcoholic. Uh, and 
there is policy and there is law around what employers can and cannot fire you for. And some of those things include religion and race, et cetera, et cetera. And that has, to me, no bearing on how the information is collected. Again, we've made it much easier by broadcasting to the world uh, everything about us. We're, we're so interested in telling the world about ourselves that we forget the world includes potential employers, potential enemies, potential law enforcement, whatever. Um, I mean, I don't know how many people have been caught because they, to the extent concordance, there are stories of people, and I think I may have mentioned this last week, but um, I'm not sure. I'm going to repeat it again because I think it's so funny. People who are so stupid that they post on their Facebook pages, hey, couldn't be bothered to go into work today. I'm pulling a sickie. And they right. turn up the following right. day and they're fired. And they think, well, that's right. not right. That's unfair. No, no, I've got an even better example. There are people who post pictures with their swag that they just stole. Right. Uh, you know, guys who use the, the phone they just stole from another person to post pictures of themselves, which, of course, you know, then they can be arrested based on their stupid Internet activities, which were or never private. Again. Another, another example going into the realm of criminal law, people who are stupid enough to post on YouTube videos of them um, breaking the speed limit and breaking. taking, you know, taking a yeah. picture of the uh, speedometer as they go down a 30 mile an hour street doing 100 miles an hour. And they're surprised that they're sort of like, well, but what's the difference? What would have been the difference in that situation between gifting the evidence rather than the evidence being taken by a camera on the side of the road? I mean, I, I, I don't fully get it. But board to bits, um, we've got a couple more callers. So I'm going to give you a last word and then um, we'll move on. Board. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I think, no, I think it's an interesting, I think it's something I'm going to look into for quite a while. I, I, I'll go without, without expecting an answer, but a question to Aaron's son would be, Imagine he owns the company and he's about to employ two people and he gets 10 CVs that all give him access to Facebook accounts. Wouldn't he want to watch, read these people's Facebook accounts to find out what sort of people he's about to employ? Right, Junior Ra, we'll come to you. Uh, thanks very much, Board. We'll come to you um, as I bring in the next corner. caller. Go ahead. All right. Well, uh, I would want to uh, look into those people with all resources that I could use. But at the same time, I myself would be a reasonable and objective enough uh, person that I could only look at things that were actually detrimental to the person's ability to work there. If I saw that they were involved in some sort of criminal activity that would hopefully have been already seen on a background check. And if they were involved in uh, something just generally unsavory to the public, if it has no impact on their ability to perform the job, then I don't think that it should be relevant. If I look at someone's Facebook and I see he's into heavy metal and Satanism, and he's going to be working in a warehouse where he doesn't have to interact with anyone except for the UPS man, I don't see why his uh, preferences should matter. And there are some things that you aren't supposed to ask people in a job interview and that you can find out online for free. So if it's not supposed to get in the way so that you're not supposed to be able to discriminate on that uh, point, then you shouldn't be able to just look it up. 
See, the reason you're not on this show is you take too long to say anything. <laughs> That's bold from you, Aaron. You took up the first 50 minutes on a rant. Can't believe said that. I, I agree with you entirely, uh, Junior Rob, but, um, well, not, not entirely. Uh, but I'm going to leave my disagreements till a little bit later because we've got our next caller. Yuri, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Um, I'm quite sort of, I expected that I might have anything new to bring to the NSA debate and so on. But uh, I will say a brief statement about what I think. I don't really want to enter into it. And then I'll move on to another topic. Which well, give, is it, sort of... give you a first statement if you want to. But I know that you asked mm -hmm. um, whether you could introduce a second topic. Give us your thoughts on the first, and then we'll move on to your second one. Yeah, yeah. Um, essentially, I disagree with it in principle, but there, there are certain, like when Michael was talking about how, say, you could go on Battlefield 3, make some stupid statements, and you should be able to sort of get away with it because it's private. I disagree with that. It is essentially public domain. Anyone can access it if they have an Xbox, etc. If it's a Skype call like this but not broadcast i think it would be maybe infringing on some under rights if you made a joke like joke about jihad and you weren't actually planning jihad um and you got banged up for it but i don't want to go into semantics I, well I, I have i have to make one clear point it does not go from a simple statement on uh, a skype call uh, to being banged up, there is a process that you go through called a, a trial no, process. No. <laughs> you know, uh, the idea that you just get banged up for making a statement, I'm sorry, nonsense. Let's move on to your second point then. Uh, my second point is that I was hearing about uh, sort of how nutty some of the Texan governors are. Maybe a bit thankful that Nigel Farage looks positively lefty in comparison. Um, but I wonder, are politicians, religious ones especially, like Tony Blair, um, who do pretty shitty things, let's just say, and praise uh, theism for all the loveliness it supposedly brings into the world, and then commit hypocrisies like uh, devout Anglican for their reign as prime minister, and then immediately change or convert to Catholicism. Do you think they're sincere, or are they just um, lying and trying to manipulate, say, the electorate's feelings on religion? I don't personally think they're sincere. No, I don't. I do. I think most of them probably. And again, I, I think you don't become a politician by having a simple uh, viewpoint on issues like religion and whatever. I think you have an ability to convince yourself of things you don't truly believe. Um, and, and so if you come across this cognitive dissonance, it's something that politicians are quite good at maintaining. So let's say, for example, that you are you know, hypocritically opposing gay marriage uh, but are in fact a closet homosexual. I think closet homosexuals manage to maintain this sense of denial uh, and defense mechanisms – and it eventually outs, right? It almost always does. But they can maintain that for long periods of time, this sort of uh, double think, right, where they, they can maintain two contradictory realities in their head uh, and still function. And I think maybe that's why some politicians never make it above the level of dog catcher, because they don't, they lack that ability. They can't 
they can't accommodate contradictory views, their own personal views and the views of the public in a harmonious way. And, and so they end up self-destructing. They say stuff that you and I might find objectionable or that we might agree with, but the majority of their voters find objectionable. Um, yeah, I, I essentially think um, uh, more or less the same as you. I think that that you do there are so or several stages as you can see with politicians you could be i'm just giving the uk as an example backbench mp then secretary of state then prime minister but you do have to have those certain niche abilities and so on to be able to uh take several viewpoints in be able to understand them and be able to relate to people but also politics is a dirty game you need to be able to be accommodate and be, as they always like to say, quote marks, pragmatic uh, in your approach, even if that means being hypocritical about the tenets of your religion and so on. Um, but another one... Well, and it could even be argued, they could even be argued that, uh, you know, whatever your personal views are, you're a representative of a large group of people. And if you don't represent those people, then one of your fundamental functions is is uh negated or 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 uh, um diminished so by representing these people and trying to say what would my constituents want me to do or say here uh you know even if it's not quite what i would have said you know i'm doing my job my job is to represent the 100,000 people who uh voted or didn't vote for me yeah, that that's quite true. But um, I could go into a whole debate about how the system here, we don't quite get that because you could have a majority of Christians in a constituency and then one atheist would just get 20% of the vote, which is higher than everyone else's percentage. But that wouldn't even out. Um, another uh, dynamic, just one thing before I inevitably will have to go because we have a lot of cause this show. Um do you th how what's the situation in the USA? Does it help to be religious at all as a politician? I hope you're kidding. <laughs> I hope you're kidding. I, I, I don't think there's ever been an openly atheist uh, national leader of any kind, period. End of story. I, I, I think that even some of our most revered secular champions have managed the word i mean you know the oath of office often contains the word god we added it back to our national anthem right we we squeezed it in everywhere we could possibly i don't think you can be elected uh if you're not openly and i think i'll just say it openly christian there are probably a few uh jewish representatives but atheists just out of the question I think it's actually worth mentioning, uh, you know, I, I own some of this stuff by watching American uh, videos on YouTube and following American news, but um, I, I think it's hard to understate just how important uh, religiosity or the, the appearance of religiosity is for getting elected. Um, I mean, they, they have in the U.S. Constitution that there can be no religious test for office, and yet several states, um, you know, had not ratified that, and they actually take the position that there can be. In fact, there have been movements like city councillors who didn't swear. Instead, they would affirm when they accepted their position. And then there'll be a petition from the community to get the person off uh, city council uh, or from a state legislature um, for the sole reason that they don't believe in a creator. 
So it isn't just an issue of it's kind of hard to get elected if you're not openly Christian. Um, there are places in the U.S. where it's, it's a tremendous barrier to the point where a lot of atheists will do everything they can to sort of hide from being a non-believer. Uh, if I can just sort of throw in my closing statement, because I assume I'll have to go soon, um, that in the UK, I'm sorry to sort of shit on the US's parade and say, oh, how much better the UK is. In the UK, it looks to be a much better situation. Yes, we have a monarchy, and the head of church is the head of state. But honestly, in normal day-to-day -day life, um, in politics, it barely means anything. And it's likely, if you work out the maths, that we, I'm not sure how it will work, we probably will get our very first atheist PM if Ed Miliband is elected. We have a deputy who is atheist, deputy PM who is atheist. And we have several, we've had like a few Muslims in cabinet. So I think it's much better here. And ironically us is supposedly secular and here we have head of church head of state so that's how weird it is today you can have a secular country where everyone in politics is more or less religious and you can have an ostensibly christian country where we have all sorts in and probably an atheist pm so yeah it's it's completely different situation and i'm quite glad of it to be honest i'm sorry to say Sure, and if you're feeling some embarrassment for shitting on the American government, uh, you can make up for it by being at least partially embarrassed that your House of Lords, as I understand it, actually has... Oh, yeah, has bishops, or, yeah. Okay, okay, well, whichever it is, you can explain it. You're there, I'm not. Yeah, in the you know House what I mean? of Lords, there's essentially, you have... <laughs> House of Lords doesn't, it doesn't have that much power. It does have quite a bit. We have unelected people who, any old idiots, even a son or daughter of someone in the House of Lords, if it's a life period, you can get into a position of power through nepotism, essentially. And we also have like a dozen or so bishops in the House of Lords who can vote on laws and they are unelected by the people and they're part of the church. So it is, yeah, we do have, we do have those uh, fatal flaws in our democratic process, I have to say. Thank you very much indeed, Yuri. Um, I'm going to remove you now because uh, I noticed the time and um, we've got another caller that we'd like to fit in. And also, I have to welcome Thunderfoot, who I have to say has been off the radar for the best part of three or four weeks. But he contacted me about five minutes ago and said, yeah, I'm here. Well, is there a show happening? So it's a delight to welcome Thunderfoot to the show. And now he's here, he can't even speak. But um, whilst he's trying to figure out why his audio doesn't work, uh, we'll move on to our next caller. What have you got for us today, sir? Well, I'm going all the way back to the beginning of the show for this one. Um, sure. I have a few comments, but first, for the sake of, um, let's see now, hog there, I, you mentioned um, Planned Parenthood in terms of eugenics. Back when the eugenics movement was first getting started, um, there was both positive and negative views towards eugenics. It wasn't simply viewed as the extermination thing. And the founders of Planned Parenthood were in favor of positive eugenics, meaning giving more control to people to decide whether or not they bear young. Oh, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I, I think I just sort of raised the issue to see if other people had known about it. Um, oh, okay. I did. I, I mean, I, I asked the question because I felt ill-equipped 
when this person had uh, raised this issue, and, and obviously it was sort of a scandalous way of like, oh, look how bad had, uh, Planned Parenthood is. Um, but I did sort of say, like, you know, eugenics has become the swear word, but we need to judge those who supported the movement um, by the zeitgeist of their era. And, and no, I mean, obviously it, it was sort of a well-intentioned enterprise in its early days. So I, I and, agree completely yeah. with you. And in the early days of Planned Parenthood, it was more about giving, well, honestly, poor people the ability to control whether or not they have children through providing contraception, etc. But speaking of contraception, um, the main topic I wanted to talk about was sex ed in Texas, which <laughs> I've been having to put up with lately because my daughter's at that age. And I, when I first heard of the abstinence-only thing, my thought was, uh, that's well. fine, I'll just teach about contraception and all that when my daughter goes through that, but lo and behold, their <clears throat> sex education in Texas now is focused more on VD than pregnancy. And they really push the only way to prevent VD is abstinence, and they don't reference that some people can be born with varied conditions. And then they tell them things like, you know, condoms are unreliable, they slip off and break, which of course dispels that whole everything bigger in Texas fallacy to start off with. But it, it hey, amazed me how say? apparently not everything's bigger in Texas if they're saying the condoms always slip off. <laughs> hey, I'm in Texas, too. That applies to me, too. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it amazed me because they spent most of their curriculum talking, basically making up false statistics and whatnot, talking about how poorly all these varied forms of contraception work. You know, I, I think what happens isn't that the state gives out bad information. I think what happens is there are no standards by which teachers are evaluated on specifics when it comes to sex ed, because I, I think each school is giving a slightly different message. Uh, and I think what probably is going to happen is you're going to have, again, rural schools that are teaching <laughs> sort of the um, oh arcane wisdom of what works best, what doesn't work best, you know, poorly researched factoids. And what's really needed is actually a tighter curriculum, something that is, you know, clearly written so that the teachers are delivering a consistent message. Uh, and I think this is probably true in biology as well when we talk about evolution or in, you know, U.S. or Texas history where each teacher is teaching whatever they perceive the truth to be. Uh, and so two kids going even through the same school may have a very different experience of what is being taught in Texas schools. I, no. I think that's really where, where the, the, well, there's a need, this, and that's for tighter standards. But this I don't, is I don't, it's, Texas. It's this not that way at all. It's, it's not that way at all. My wife was a teacher, and they, the, you know, these family organizations that want to suppress sex education made everything standardized by having speakers go into these classrooms and give the standard message. So it had nothing to do with the teacher's individual preference or belief or understanding. They had organizations sending people out to give the standard discussion. In her case, some old geezer with you know with his pants up over his navel goes in to tell the children how you know, how uh, contraception doesn't work, and you know, and all these horrible things about venereal diseases. Anything that they can to scare the children from not having sex at all. That's the only that's the only message they have. And when he was asked by one of the students, "Does oral sex feel good?" His answer was. 
No, because you're so worried about getting, you know, uh, STDs. You're too worried about that to enjoy it. And when it, uh, when the two people, I got two people, not just one, uh, showed up to my class, they even had a slideshow of diseased sexual organs. And, and on top of that, most of the projects and reports that my daughter had to do were focused almost entirely on varied forms of VD. It really wasn't about the pregnancy, which might be why, if I remember the statistics correctly, there was a recent study that showed that Texas is now ranked number one in second pregnancies among teens. Yep. And I've even seen tweets from teenagers you know, talking about how they don't understand why people have associated sex with pregnancy. It's, you know, they, 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 don't, they didn't see the correlation. They're high school students, and they don't know that sex causes pregnancy. They think it is a blessing from God that just happens to you. The stork theory revisited. Exactly. And by the way, my, uh, while we were on this thing about Texas and, and, and abortion and, and sex edge and all that, there is a rally tomorrow uh, in protest of Rick Perry's complete dismissal of everything that had been going on. The 80% of the people polled in this state who do not want that bill to pass tomorrow, the heroic efforts of Wendy Davis last week, uh, they want to show support. Thousands of people are descending on the Austin State Capitol tomorrow. Uh, if you want to join them, there's a. I've just been told we, you need to wear orange. Apparently, simulating the the orange revolution in Ukraine. I don't know, but at the, wear orange in support of Wendy Davis if you're going to be part of that rally. We don't yet know if we're going to make it, but we're deliberating on that. What if orange just isn't your color? Learn to color. I don't own anything orange. I think I might have something orange <laughs> from when I was like nine. I've got something that's in an orange shade of black. I think this is all a ploy by the University of Texas Longhorns to make people wear their color. I refuse on principle. You're not supposed to tell anyone. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it's part of a government plan to um, do surveillance on the citizens of um, Texas because anyone that wears orange tomorrow is going to be flagged up as a uh, uh, subversive um, and deserving of more surveillance or whatever. As if Facebook hasn't already told them that. <laughs> well, I'm behind the times, I guess. <laughs> On that topic, though, GPR Jones, there are people who have been, um, as I think the word earlier was, banged up for things that they said by the government without any sort of investigation or trial, because our our surveillance pro uh, uh, laws aren't the main problem. It's mostly combination of that we've got surveillance mixed with other things that mean that people don't actually have to have trials anymore. Because well, be, before you guys country, get the Constitution too deep matter. back on that topic, before we guys get too deep back on that topic, I'm going to have to cut out in a moment anyway, but I wanted to give you one parting thought um, before leaving, which is that in accordance with Judaism, the mother's life should always trump that of the unborn. And on that note, y'all have a good day. Good point that he just brought up. As, and it, it's one that, that the religious right often ignores. 
that uh, according to the Hebrew law on which the Bible was based, it actually does permit abortions to be performed in order to preserve the woman's life. And uh, it even explains how to do partial birth abortions in those cases. And in the Christian Bible, in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, it details how an abortion may be performed by a priest with God's direct condonement and, and assistance simply to determine whether a woman was faithful to her husband. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Excellent. Sorry. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make a brief point on, well, actually two things, but only one of really importance. And that's the only way to really, I think, address the, um, uh, you know, contraception doesn't work argument is to simply tell them that not contraception doesn't work either which is why she was called the Virgin Mary. She never had sex. She still got pregnant. Gotcha. Okay. But boom. boom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I, guess I, I guess I should work on the delivery a little more. But, I mean, the point <laughs> is still there, though, is that, um, you know, I mean, if, if they really believe that the Bible's the way to go, then... Um, actually having no sex at all can still get you pregnant. Well, yeah, they, there's all it, actually people who all it takes that. is for the All it takes is for the Holy Spirit to be in a slightly funny mood, you know, and uh, you're up the duff. Well, um, yeah. It's not clear. History seems to record that there was only one occasion that the good Lord sent down the Holy Spirit to come upon wait, the Virgin. Wait. Oh, no, 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 no. Was it, was it, was it Zarathustra? What was it, was it Siddhartha Gautama? I think, um, depending on what you want to generously call history, we've got at least a dozen or so occasions of people being miraculously conceived. And what's more, Aaron, if it comes down to paternity suits I think if actually invoking the Holy Spirit was an acceptable way to avoid paternity suits it would be invoked a whole lot more <laughs> it was Zeus <laughs> he came exactly down <laughs> he does it all the time I swear uh, look, I, I might have had sex with this woman but I'm not the one who it was Zeus that did it well actually if you read Greek mythology, you'll realize that uh, when Zeus visits Earth, he tends, has a propensity to come down as a golden shower. Read into that what you may. I kid you not. I kid you not. I just get a book on Greek mythology and read it out if it were not a family show. I, I, I was about to say, are you, sure you got your, are you sure you've not got your titles mixed up there, DPR? I'm absolutely certain. Um, Thunderful, earlier we were talking about um, internet surveillance and whether uh, people are happy with the idea of the, the internet sites that they have visited being um, recorded by the government. W would you have an issue with that? Um, primarily not on pragmatic grounds. And the pragmatic grounds is governments tend to be incompetent in actually using data. Um, and, you know, if you were to actually put this into the context of America, you're the government that couldn't organize sending, you know, fresh water supplies to the victims of Hurricane Sandy 
you know, how much faith do you have that even if they were given all of the data in the world, that they would actually be able to do anything useful with it? The second one is you, know, you take a look at almost any government run um, large government can run project in England, you know, whether it be identity cards or the child protection service or whatever. Um, their ability to cock things up is um, rivaled only by the amount of money that they spend on these projects. Um, and so um, in principle, yes, it bothers me and it bothers me a lot because the intent is there. Right. So it is the intent that I find most disturbing. Governments should not be engaging in this sort of activity on their civilians. Right. Having said that, that's their aspirations. Their op if it was a question of do I find this an operationally invasive move, then the answer is no, because I just don't have any um, great uh, worries that these large governments uh, have the ability to do anything sensible with this data. I mean, to a degree, the whole thing's a farce anyway, in that, you know, if the government is doing it, it's spying on you. If if it's Facebook, then you just give them all of your personal details just by typing it into the computer. I mean... Um, okay, here's the reality that you have to face. It's, it's not going to be the government. It's not anything like that. It's these guys right here. They're going to be interconnected like the synapses of a brain, hundreds of millions of interconnected little teeny supercomputers by standards of the Apollo 11 crew, these guys are going to become self-aware at some point, and they know who you are, and they can read, and they've already tracked everybody, and Skynet, right there. Enough of your Terminator <laughs> theories. <laughs> oh, Aaron. Oh, so well, what you're saying is... is, is you so what, what you're that? saying, Aaron, is is when it becomes self-aware, it will stalk down the person who has the launch codes. <laughs> I I think people are being a bit silly. And now. and and what's more, the launch code will be one, two, three, four. Because no one's bothered to change it. Yeah. Um, I want to finish the on the same combination <laughs> I have on my suitcase. Yeah. I want to change the the, the topic. I want nice. to change the topic to one that um, Concordance wanted to raise. Uh, mentioned before the show, um, which is about whether we should engage evolution, evolutionary Christians. Concordance, give us your thoughts. Well, yeah, it's one of the topics that is often hotly debated is whether or not being an accommodationist, like the NCSE is, is the archetype. Um, they feel it's their job not to alienate friendly Christian groups who support the teaching of good science but they have their own reasons. They they consider embracing science uh, better for their religious views than opposing science because they know which side is going to win. Um, is it wrong to, to compromise to to remove any and all vestiges of you know the the non-religious tone? Should we accommodate those groups who are are aligned with us in the principles of science? even if their religious views are diametrically opposed to what most scientists have. Am I making myself clear? I feel like I'm talking in circles. But you are a bit. Now, see, I make the distinction 
that, you know, I, while I am an anti-theist and I have absolutely no value for religion whatsoever, I still make the distinction that, uh, that theistic evolution is at least not in denial of science the way young earth creationism is and doesn't, propose, doesn't pose the threat that, that creationism does. Creationism is a brand of religious extremism and that the extremists guide the moderates in the mainstream and they also get all the other the extremists also get the financial support from the moderates so we really need to make that distinction we really need to have reasonable people who understand science and have an honest concept of what truth is to some degree on our side and and I'm finding that I'm having to do this we're doing a uh, con we're doing a conference a month from now wherein I am supposed to debate Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis in Houston. And uh, it's me and PZ Myers versus Ken Ham and whoever he conjures up. Though, for some reason, once uh, once we, we, we came to the second round of these arrangements, it seems that Ham has lost his ability to communicate online or something. We haven't gotten an answer back from him. He, he originally posed that he wanted to have one of his PhDs debate one of our PhDs, and then when P.C. Myers threw his not PhD... Not the astronomical, no, not the astronomy guy, yeah? Leslie something or other. So I, I, I don't know who it was that they were going to select, but, you know, when P.C. came in and said that he would, he would do it, he would lower himself to debate a creationist as long as his partner would be me. So... Uh, uh, two, two words of warning. Um... The first is if the guy that I think it is. I think they've only got one PhD there, or one sensible PhD, and he's an astronomer. Um, well, so they've, also, they've, they've got a couple of geologists and a, at least one biologist. Yeah, they they have a PhD, few actually. PhDs. Yes. Are those actually uh, okay? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they they've do. got a few, um, but none of them none of them that pose me any threat at all. But they do have a few. Now the thing is, is that we're doing this conference. Uh, where, where Ken Ham and a number of other young earth creationists are talking to homeschool people in Texas, a Texas homeschool coalition, wherein all these people are, are homeschooling their kids specifically to prevent their children from learning about evolution. So they're going to teach them the young earth creationist propaganda instead. Now, there also happens to be a homeschool coalition in Texas for secular parents who want to teach legitimate fact-based at, you know, education, because when you go to school in Texas, you don't learn science because the teachers don't know it or they're afraid to teach it or what have you. So ironically, if you want your kids to learn evolution, you have to homeschool them, too. So we're holding a separate conference just for those people. And I'm trying or, or the, uh, the the Houston atheists have been trying to get uh, uh, Christian speakers like Ken Miller uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Francis Collins and a couple of others to come in, just for people that don't necessarily want to completely exclude religion from their their children's studies, but obviously they don't want to take the religious wacko aspect of it either. Let's go back to conclusions. Let, let me make this a little bit more of a challenge. Um, what if you're you're putting together a convention uh, to talk about science education? And there is a, a religious group, let's let's say the Catholic Church, who want to teach a, a type of theistic guided evolution, the idea that evolution is the tool that God used 
to make all of the you know things that we see around us do we include those people on our side or or do we oppose them do we by allying with these groups with you know support for evolution support for the teaching of natural selection random mutation the components of evolution but teaching it from a religious perspective are those good allies to have so i would say this is um a problem of target selection you know you've got a limited amount of time which you know this is the the fundamental commodity or you know i'm, I'm going to use the metaphor you have a limited number of bullets and there are a variety of targets you can shoot at and you've got to prioritize them according to, to value um now um if you take a look at you know what are the the actual benefits for scoping at these people who aren't really a problem um they are only i would see these as um tangentially relevant i certainly wouldn't see there's um anything to be had in drawing battle lines with people like this um so i would um i would see these as almost neutral in the equation and you know, I, I really wouldn't have uh, an issue to pick with them. You know, I think they're wrong. And you know, if I was to actually engage with them, um, it would be very much along the lines of, you know, you think this is good science? Okay, sure. Well, let's let's present the the pros and cons of these two cases in a critical thinking example in a classroom. Um, and actually, because the thing about you know the um, guided by God evolution is that this would be one of the most sadistic gods ever, in that life is essentially a story of things that work at the cost of killing millions of things that don't. That's that's basically evolution. Um, yeah, what what sort of um, if this is guided? Um, it's a very sadistic way of designing things. So the NCSE have something called the Clergy Project, I believe, um, where they have, you know, a, a wing of what what we consider accommodationist. That's um, not the NCSE. That's that's. Oh, not I'm the sorry. NCSE. I'm thinking of something related. Something something talking. the NCSE yeah. is doing, where they they do recruit religious leaders um, to better target religious audiences that you know their goal is science education their goal is not in any way uh anti-religious or non-religious they want to see the right stuff taught in the schools and i think one of their strategies is to incorporate religious messaging uh where it's appropriate uh, obviously, in the public schools, they they oppose any introduction of religion. But I'm talking here about trying to reach out to the religious community to to stand allied against fundamentalists, uh, and they take a lot of flack from from atheist groups. I think for for being accommodationist uh, because they they yeah, feel I mean, it's sort I, of I would... weak and that they have to compromise too much. In spirit, I sort of sympathize with those who give them a hard time. Um, in terms of efficiency. Um, the people, the atheists who give them a hard time, would be better better off spending their time doing something more productive. Right? That's not um, good target selection. 
you know, the the usual thing is if you have limited resources, you don't spend your efforts with infighting, which is um, a real irony, really. But um, it, in terms of strategy, no, you shouldn't be sort of giving the NCSE a hard time over. I mean, there's not even so much being accommodationist. Um, they are more being tolerant of these things. They don't actually go and support any of these religious ideas. It's more, more that they don't actively um, protest against them. Yeah. Well, I, I think we have two overlapping organizations with with different goals, and neither of those goals really speak to trying to bring down uh, moderate or accommodationalist Christians. So, on the one hand, you've got like uh, science education. So the Eugenie Scots of the world, who really seem to have no interest in pushing atheism. And I, you, I mean, the only people I ever hear use the term pushing atheism, of course, are evangelical Christians. Uh, I don't see even atheists pushing atheism. Um, but I think I'm sort of echoing Concordance's point here about how if the goal is to improve science education, then, uh, you know, a wedge has to be drawn somewhere. It has to it has to be planted somewhere because you've got people who dig in their heels and they absolutely are anti-science, and then you've got people who want to see science progress. So somewhere that wedge is going to be drawn, and I think the accommodationalists are on our side of where the wedge ought to be planted. Now, of course, if you talk about getting away from the sort of uh, mythological thinking, which is more where where the David Silverman type of organizations come in, where we say, well, we need to get people to sort of free themselves from the tyranny of these sort of you know, God beliefs and, and this, uh, believing in God is sort of a great way of assisting yourself in, in, in just tyrannizing and irritating other people. Um, I would say even for that goal, um, atheists around the world uh, suffer very little at the hands of the sort of keep to myself accommodationalist Christians, right? That where the real oppression and bigotry comes from tends to be from those nutters that are also just married to Christian to uh, creationism, so I don't think it really serves either goal to sort of slap away those who are science friendly, even though they have this other unsupported belief. Yeah, another aspect of that is that the people, the extremists that you're talking about, aren't just crazy; they are also very, very powerful, extremely well funded politically, and they are dominionists. So and they they're very open about their agenda to dominate and take over everything. I mean, several of the several of the leaders have all declared that they needed to to have you know Christians in the highest positions of power governing over everything, eliminating atheism, eliminating all other religions, and subjecting them all to you know Levitican law and so on. I've uh, here in Texas we've gotten a lot of these dominionist type, type comments. So they they. They're very open about the fact that they are themselves a threat. And I don't think they would be so open about that if they thought there was any challenge to their position, which they clearly don't. So let me ask the question one more time, though. Is there anything being lost by allowing, let's say, equal access between non-theistic or atheistic materialism as an agenda and theistic evolution. You guys are perfectly okay if we have a conference on science that we give the podium to someone who gets up there and says that this is the way God used evolution to create the world. 
so you're, that you're making you know, a distinction between yada yada. You're making a distinction between what somebody believes personally and what they what they project or preach. And the division that I make is when you're making statements, you know, asserting as fact that which is not evidently true, that's where the thing becomes dishonest. If you state what you believe, and again, you, maybe you don't believe it for any valid reason that I could consider, okay, but that's, that's, that's still within your right. But when you start saying that it is a fact, that this is what happened, well, no, then that's, that's where we have contest. I didn't. I wasn't sure, but when Concordance first raised this, I was presuming that he was uh, talking at the, at the very least about the the Kenneth Millers uh, of this world. Now, um, I would presume that you would have little uh, track with anything that Kenneth Miller would have to say about evolution, for example. Is that the sort of connection that you're referring to, Concordance? Or is it, does it go beyond that? I, I, I'm willing to bet you're not as familiar. You're not as familiar with all of Kenneth Miller's positions. Now, I'm actually talking about people who are different than me. I, I actually am somewhat accommodationist. I honestly consider the religious aspects to be so tangential, and I, I feel like sometimes, as a non-theistic group, as a secular group, we tend to walk right into these traps of associating evolution and uh, atheism, which of course is exactly what religious leaders would like to happen because they can they can use that against us. Um, and yet there are, I think, atheistic groups who say we're, we're giving away one of our most effective tools to reach people uh, in rationality by saying it's okay to be irrational about you know, the the cause or the purpose behind it all, so long as you're being rational about the mechanism, that we're, we're somehow accommodating uh, garbage, we're accommodating the supernatural still, rather than taking a hard stand and saying science has to be about testable hypotheses. And, and when you start mixing together untestable hypotheses, that it's no longer really science anymore. It's some sort okay, of a you have to you know, science-based religion. You have to remember that people come away from religion in gradual steps. And the creationist extremists want very much to... And you can, you can look at all of the, the things that, that Ken Ham posts on Answers in Genesis. He's very difficult. He, he, he tries very hard not to acknowledge that theistic evolutionists even exist. They want there to be a dichotomy that if you promote evolution, that you are atheist, and that if you if you're a Christian, then you have to be creationist. They want that dichotomy, and that is, in fact, remember the first foundational falsehood of creationism. You can have religious beliefs that do not run counter to science. You and you, they don't have to. Uh, Kenneth Miller says that he is a, a very traditional. Catholic, and when I had the opportunity to meet him, he was actually giving a kind of a sermon in a church, and I couldn't bear to go in because I wasn't going to put up with that for my respect of him for, in other avenues. So I, I, I didn't take that opportunity. But not everyone is that way. A lot of people will hold to some sort of some degree of spirituality that does not violate reason or science to any degree that I care about. And creationists don't want their don't want their existence to be acknowledged, 
because they need that dichotomy in order to maintain the power and the financial flow, in order to keep people emotionally charged, that you have to believe this or you fall into this other category completely, and there's no intermediate areas between. So that, that's one of the reasons that I like to accommodate. Just to show them, there's here's another facet, yet another one, where creationists happen to be wrong, just like they're wrong on every other facet. The only objection I'll, I'll raise to that, and maybe we can take this to the next show uh, and start wrapping up, but uh, you forget all the things that Christianity depends upon. You know, the, the existence of original sin, uh, the, the principle of life after death, uh, the, the existence of the miraculous, uh, the, the literal truth of the Bible, not in all cases, but very often certain passages are taken as verbatim. They're meant to be taken quite literally. Uh, and when you're teaching uh, what, what could be perceived as a watered-down approach to science, in other words, we're going we're gonna to stick with the liberals, right? We're going to stick with those atheists on this, this principle of science, that, that evolution is undeniable and cannot possibly be an issue. We're going to accommodate that into our Christianity. They will not accommodate other things that you and I would be able to scientifically test and disprove, right? As a possible, you know, the historicity of Jesus is not something well, see, that you can challenge and remain a Christian. I know, I know Christians who have walked away from the Bible all but completely. They have almost no consideration for the Bible at all. They cling to this one little belief because it makes them feel good, and they don't care what the man-made mythologies dedicated to God claim to have in them. One Christian who was my favorite example, uh, this is a dear friend of mine, he told me that he, that he is Christian because it makes him feel good not but not because he thinks any of it is actually true. I loved that admission. And I've I've gotten similar kinds of statements from other people clinging to that emotional crutch, I think it is. Um I would only make one very brief point. For me, the only thing that um would raise my hackles to the point of battle lines being drawn is um, if they are actually proposing uh, religion as a way of knowing things, as a way of gaining knowledge, um, because in that sense, that's pretty antithetical to the scientific method. That's the point when that's the deal breaker for me. Um, other than that, you know, if they want to sort of um, sort of say yes, I accept. Uh, you know the, this evolutionary uh, model as explaining the diversity of life on Earth, um, but I still believe in a, in whatever a god on a personal level. I got no problem with that. But um, yeah, the uh, it, it's when you start saying that uh, um, you know claiming knowledge um, from essentially an unknown. Or a supernatural, that for me is the deal breaker. As for me too. Hoktai, final thoughts. Oh, absolutely agreed. Uh, and I'm going to say, uh, even though my, my main point here, just to not be misunderstood, is that um, when it comes to theistic evolutionists, they are uh, closer to our friends than our enemies. I don't usually have a grief with them. Having said that, I will say the part of me that that feels like our species would be a little better off 
when the you know Bronze Age and Iron Age mythologies sort of you know slip off into our past, uh, that part of me that sees us getting better off in this way thinks it's really really cool that we're seeing a whole bunch of these people where they've wrapped up their god belief and their anti-evolution conspiracy nutter theory and stuck those two together firmly. The people who say you're not a real Christian unless you also believe that uh, the earth is only 6,000 years old and that there's a worldwide conspiracy of scientists and blah, blah, blah. I kind of get a kick out of that because it's, it's that group that makes Christianity look unappealing. No, they're definitely doing more damage to themselves than we could. Okay, uh, I just want to throw out there that I'm going to be in uh, Columbus, Ohio in two weeks, so I'm not going to be on the next show. I'll be in Columbus for the Secular Student Alliance. Uh, they're doing their national convention, um, and that will be at Ohio State University on July 12th and 14th. I, I'm a terrible person to argue this position because I'm, I'm way too accommodationist myself, but I, I hope this is an issue we can touch back on. There are some real downsides to accommodating religious perspectives in a group that is based on secular science education. Um, I think there's some real room for criticism. I, I think I'm going to have a hard time finding any fault with anything Eugenie Scott started and, and brought to life. But um, I think the there are still some valid perspectives and some valid questions to be asked about whether or not allowing the miraculous into a discussion of science education is ultimately going to come back and undermine the efforts that are being made on the one or two particular issues that we're very concerned about. Uh, and I could, I could certainly come up with a long list of them, but it wouldn't be hard to find, say, just among Catholics who don't oppose evolution, perspectives on euthanasia, on uh, perspectives on abortion that would be antithetical to certain points in science education that you and I would probably find very important. That's all. Thank you. And finally, um, Minira, thank you for joining the show. Um, we'll give you the final word. Well, you won't get the final word because I always get that, but you'll get the penultimate word. Well, my whole uh, reflections on this could be pretty much summed up on this topic anyway by what Dad and Thunderfoot said sort of combined, so I don't really have much to interject here. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, let's me go through. Uh, thank you to everyone that's been on the show, the panellists and the callers. Thank you to Tony, who has been working way behind the scenes to bring you the show. Um, and if you are watching it on... Um, YouTube when it will be posted hopefully in the next 48 hours. Do remember if you want to watch it live, the place to go to is the Magic Sandwich Show website. Um, the reason we're doing this is in preparation for the MSF Doctors Without Borders charity event um, which will be taking place over the weekend of the 14th and 15th of September. From the website you'll all get also get details of that. I may even post a YouTube video about it in the next uh, week or so, but information about that and uh, that show and who will be appearing over that weekend, uh, you'll start you'll start getting that, as I say, in the next couple of weeks. So look forward to that. Um, and thank you again, everyone. Thank you to Tony. Um, we shall wrap it up there, and we shall see you in hopefully two weeks' time. Thank you very much. <laughs>